listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. On today's episode of the Androids Dungeon, two-player games. Which ones are the best? Or maybe just games that are good at two players? Who knows? Keep listening. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting of the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario, in case you were confused about the location of the University of Guelph. I don't know, it could be Guelph, New Mexico, like in that King of the Hill episode. My name is Jack. My name is Kayla. And this is Android's Dungeon. And we like to start off every episode of Android's Dungeon by asking Joel what game he has been playing recently. But Joel, unfortunately, is... Um, yeah. Some somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure where, but he's definitely not here. I actually know exactly where Joel is, and uh, if you pay the ransom, you can get most of him back, all right? It's that simple. Uh, so in lieu of Joel being here, I'm going to pass my question off to the lovely Kayla Campbell. Kayla, what have you been playing recently? So this weekend, I played a lot of Crib, Cribbage, <laughs> as some might know. And you lost most of those games. Uh, no, I won all of them. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Cribbage is a classic card game used with, there's a board involved, you peg, so you get So it's a board points. game. It's, yeah, it's a board game. There's a board. Good. It's a game. Then it works for this show. Yeah. It's a great game. Uh, and I beat Jack every time we played this weekend. It, for those who, like, I feel like some card games are like, some people grow up around them and they never play them. For me, it's like I'll play bridge once in a while, and it's just it's totally alien. Who plays bridge? Older people and weird people. Maybe I'm alienating like the one or two listeners that maybe like oh oh Jack's Jack's not liking bridge. Turn off the channel. But uh, there's certain card games like euchre, for example. It's something I play play so rarely, but it's actually pretty good. Euchre is a great game. Uh, but cribbage is something. Take the time to learn it. It's so simple. And you can feel the frustration of <laughs> never getting a good hand and not... That's not true. You had uh, lots of good hands. No. I think maybe you just didn't play them well. I disagree to the extreme on this mm. one. So the whole point is... Well, what, Kayla, what do you... Let's give us a very short rundown of what you should be looking for in cribbage. So in cribbage, uh, you're generally speaking trying to get cards that make up 15. So 6 and 9, 8 and 7, 10 and 5 or a combination of cards that make those numbers. You can also get points by run, so jack 10-9, uh, as well as pairs and triples. And there's a couple other things there, like a flush. Um, and if you have a, if you flip over jack and if you match a jack, there's points involved. Um, but there's this board, and you go around it, and there's, I don't know, 100-plus spots. And so you're trying to peg around the board and be the first one across the line. Uh, you get points by laying out your playing your cards and trying to hit 31, 
while also trying to get 15s and pairs and runs. Yeah, kind with, of tricky to explain. Yeah, without... But look it up. Yeah, Perfect yeah. hand is 29. That's what yeah. I know. So without falling too far, far down, trying to explain something that's incomprehensible over the radio, it, it's almost like two games into one because you've got your opening part where you've just, you're trying to play off of the person next to you. So Caleb puts down a, a six and you have some options. You look at your hand, you say, oh, all right, well, I have a nine and that makes 15. So I throw down my nine, that's 15, and I get two points, and I can score on there. And then Kayla sees the nine I put down and goes, oh, great. So she puts down a nine in her hand, which matches it. So she gets two points, and you're trying to get as close to 31. Uh, well, you want to get 31. 31, and you get points. And can't you go over 31. No, it's impossible. It's not like blackjack where you bust out either. You just can't play it. Just can't do it. Anyway, so cribbage, and you can just play hands so quickly. It's a mm-hmm. uh, perfect little card game. You do need the board, although mm-hmm. I guess you could... <laughs> Jury rig somebody. Well, you could. You can pick them up really easily at uh, thrift stores around the place. You can also play three player or four player or six, I guess. You could play six. Six if you, How does that uh, work? It's, it's the same as four, just yeah. with more people. Okay. So, the Cribbage, traditional card game, very classic. We played that because we were up at a cottage this weekend. and it's uh, perfect cottage game. Yeah, it's a perfect cottage game. As long as it's not too windy and then you have to get stones from the beach. But it kind of adds to the aesthetic of having... He's playing cards with uh, beach stones, kind of keeping them from blowing away. And now you've all joined us on our weekend at the cottage. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Welcome. Uh, All right. So cribbage. That was one one of the games we played. What what else did we play? Uh, We played Sushi Go Party, which is great because Sushi Go is adorable. It's a set collection game uh, with a little bit of drafting. Is that what that's called? You pass a card, you pick a card, you pass it. So with a lot of drafting and drafting okay and uh, you score points and all of the sushi all of the cards are full of sushi that look adorable mm-hmm. it's all really cartoonized and really 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 cute and in the party version there's more people so when anyone's played regular sushi go the party version you can go up to eight players there's also more options for sushi and various combos that you can make in your bento box lunch box yeah i think that's I what know. you're you're building sort of <laughs> Or are you talking about the actual box that comes in the tin? No, <laughs> no, I'm not talking. I'm the the board is laid out in such a way that you put all these little tiles in to represent the cards are going to be in yeah, your and game the, round. The, the point tracker looks like uh, so. If you've ever seen a sushi restaurant where the, there's the chef in the middle, he's doing his thing, and he puts them down on this this counter, and it just goes around slowly on a conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. And if you like it, you take it. And not that I've ever been in one of those places, but I've seen it before. Yeah. So sushi go, and we also played. Uh, Kemet. Yeah. So let's let's talk about Kemet for a second because this Go it's on. not come up on the show before. It's also not a two player game. It's not a two player game. So that perish the thought of that being part of that segment that's going to show up later. But Kemet, Kayla, what would you describe it as? What give us a theme first? Uh, Kemet's theme is aggressive fighting. <laughs> Are those appropriate topics? Is for it the a Viking theme? game? No, it's set in Egypt. Yeah, kind of like a fantasy mythological Egypt with uh, yeah. So <laughs> I was snakes. I was trying to explain this to a friend at work today, uh-huh. Kemet, and the first thing that he said was, "Is it Egypt?" <laughs> so I'm like, "Well, so now it's in my head. I assume it's Egypt." Yeah. All right. So Kemet is this wonderful little um, <laughs> not little. It's it, all right. So it, it's, it's big. A, it's a gigantic game. It's if you you need a lot of board space for it because. Uh, Kemet is an area control game that is uh, dudes on a map and you take on the role of one of these factions fighting in mythological or fantasy Egypt 
and uh, what's kind of cool is that each of the colors it plays up to five or plays up to six I think and each of the colors has their own um, corresponding little uh, character sheet that they're all the same for but except for art, the art on it and even the little figurines are all different too so Kayla's figures in yellow might be different than the, my figures in black and mine are red red excuse me and uh, so what separates Comet from maybe something like El Grande or like a more rudimentary area control game is that Comet is a super aggressive and mean that the game rewards you for fighting people. It rewards you for winning fights. And uh, so that really encourages you to A, be a super aggressive and B, uh, not leave people vulnerable and weak because every time you lose a fight, uh, it means you've helped somebody else get closer to winning the game. But it's also got this wonderful mechanic that there are these power tiles. And they are split into three colors, four with the expansion, red, blue, white, and black. And red focuses around murder, death, kill, 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 making you better at... Which are the ones I go for? Defeating in my foes. mind, Kemet is all about killing your opponents. Well, it is. That's what it is. Kemet's all about destroying people as quickly as possible and in the best way possible. Because just running in is... And we'll get into this in a second. Just fighting people isn't good enough. Uh, white is more about... Uh, general all-purpose uh, utilities and like raising pyramids, getting lots of prayer points, which are your currency in the game, which you spend on everything, and uh, providing various side benefits. And uh, blue is more defensive, so stopping people from maybe rushing in and beating you up constantly, so it makes them think twice about it. And then finally, with the expansion, which we tried for the first time this weekend, uh, Tasseti. Uh, I don't even know how to describe what the black tiles are in comparison, but I'd say the black power tiles are more general madness, just lots of strength uh, all across the board. And some of them, I, I almost think they're almost too good because it makes you want to not get certain red tiles in comparison, but maybe a mix of red and black is just kind of like in magic. You can go, <laughs> for anyone who knows a bit about magic, Kayla doesn't, I don't think. Uh, makes you quite... Uh, a potent force to be reckoned with but you buy these on your turn and you've got mm -hmm. this little board this is it's a pyramid and each of your bases uh, you have a home base and you have the choice of building three pyramids and each one of them has uh, four levels you can go to which indicates the level of power tile you can buy from each of the colors so if I have one blue pyramid um, a level uh, two red pyramid and no white pyramids means I can buy level two red tiles and I am blocked out of white and I can buy level one blue tiles. And you kind of want to build your, uh, your game around certain tiles. So if you see one person going heavy red, you think, well, I don't know if I want to fight them on this. So maybe I'm going to go blue. I'm going to try and neutralize some of their aggression and go for different ways. And the game can end really, really quickly if you're not careful. Because if you play short, it's eight victory points. And if you play long, it's ten. And victory points, like I said, just by winning a fight, you get a victory point that's permanent. Nobody can ever take that away. Um, by holding on to two spaces of the map, you get a permanent victory point. By raising your pyramid to level four, you get a victory point. A temporary victory, temporary point, victory point that can be taken from you. Exactly. So just cool. Somebody. So let's say you're about to win. You've got oh, I've got three level four pyramids. I'm holding on to these temples. I'm looking pretty good. And then everyone looks at themselves, your opponents, and they say, well, Kayla's about to win this game. What should we do? And they all stop fighting for a second. <laughs> and they just swoop in simultaneously because it's, you can move so quickly in this game and you're really not safe. And you want to never, ever leave one guy sitting somewhere, two guys sitting somewhere, because it's basically a free victory point for someone. And the last thing I'll say about uh, sort of the mechanics on this is that if you start a fight with somebody, you draft cards, basically, 
and you add up. It's very simple. There's zero randomness beyond maybe some uh, these cards that are assigned at the beginning of the game, which are hidden to everyone. But you pick one of these, and your opponent picks one of these, and you both add it up, and whoever has the higher number wins, and ties go to the defender. And you also assign, oh, if I decided to add all these little blood symbols on it, it means that you lose troops equal to that. And it's if I have more defense, I don't lose any guys, and so on. So it's possible for you to win a fight and the other person not lose any troops whatsoever. But if you win the fight, let's say, and it's up to you to decide how many guys you want to keep. So you can decide to say, well, I've only got three guys left after this fight, and that makes me vulnerable because Kayla's eyeing up my stuff, and she's licking her chops pretty nicely. I'm going to summon them back to, mm, I always say Valhalla. But <laughs> it's not Valhalla, but that's what I said too. I forget what uh, heaven is in ancient Egypt. I'll just say. Summon them home. Take them to raw. <laughs> so you can suck them. You eat them up and they, after a great battle, and then you get money for them. And you uh, basically stop your opponents from getting a free fight to win for victory points. But that's Kemet in a nutshell. There's a lot more to it, and it's fast and And mean. there's monsters. You forgot about the monsters. Well, tell us about the monsters, Kayla. The monsters are cute. <laughs> says something about Kayla that she thinks, like, a giant bloodthirsty scorpion is cute. And uh, I guess it depends on your perspective. Well, okay, so you can get the monsters by buying the power tile associated with the monster, and the monsters have special powers. That's all. The snake is the worst one because it's snakey. <laughs> uh, and it just negates the powers of all other monsters. So not super fun. Yeah, so the way you get monsters is that when you buy a power tile, it's the same way you get anything else. And the power tiles are permanent, by the way. Once you buy them, they're yours. It's like an upgrade to your entire character. So if you buy a power tile with a monster on it, you suddenly get to drop that monster into uh, a city area that has soldiers on it. And now all of a sudden your soldiers are running around the desert with um, an ancient mummy or a giant phoenix or all these other cool things that are super useful and and really are game changers because if you don't have a monster you better have a really good plan and because the monsters are really change the way the game works so what what do you like about commit kill i like that commit is unapologetically aggressive yeah uh, there is you can the, the easiest way to win is by fighting and that's what you did yesterday you won clearly and it was mostly because you got three victory points off of me for fighting Kayla which was, killed me Kay i was not having a good game i had no direction i was struggling i had one monster that jack kept negating and it wasn't a good game for me it was a great game for jack so i love that it's just it's head to head with your opponent there is no there's no being sorry for it it just is what it is that's the crux of the game. Yeah, so Kale's kind of hit on something here. Komet, if you are a sensitive soul who cannot handle someone maybe beating <laughs> beating the snot out of you and like and being rewarded for it, like by for like getting closer to winning the actual game, Komet is not for you. There are plenty of different ways to win Komet, but like Kale was saying, fighting. Fighting is the most direct route to doing it. And if you leave yourself vulnerable, and the worst part is if you're playing a multiplayer game, as you should be, like I'm saying, I think it should be four players minimum. Three is weird and doesn't work at two, even though I think you can play two. Uh, but if you're playing a multiplayer game, there's no room for error in that. You cannot leave yourself vulnerable because if Kayla beats you up, that means everyone else is going to come after you and beat you up. But it's also for Kayla, too, because if she loses troops, it means somebody's going to come after her. And it's just people hitting other people constantly. And hopefully, like Cyclades, another favorite of ours, if you can stop your fighting for a second amongst yourselves and realize that somebody's about to win the game, that's when you end up with these turns, kind of like what happened to us on the uh, when we played on the weekend on the last round, is that I was so close to winning, and I was basically 
I would say I was unstoppable, unfortunately, for you guys at that point because there was nothing you could do. But there's this moment when somebody's about to win the game, similar to Sickly's, where everyone just stops what they're doing and they go, all right, how can we stop this person? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I may have been running a giant scorpion through your city gates and stealing your pyramids, but let's put that aside for a moment <laughs> and realize. But uh, would you endorse uh, Komet Kill? Yeah, I think Komet's a great game. Yeah. It's fun. It's aggressive. It's not complex. Everything's laid out in front of you. I think it's actually pretty easy for someone who's not familiar with it to jump in yeah it, it would like most games it probably benefits from somebody who at least has played it once or twice and can kind of smooth over yeah. because it is the, the guys it benefits designer, that person too because they can win yeah easily. well that's kind of mean don't you think if you're teaching somebody you just beat them mercilessly and they don't even know why no, they lost it's a lesson in this is how you play the game do this next time <laughs> all right fair enough and what, what about the art too how do you feel about the theme and the art uh, I think I think the theme is nice. The board is nice. The art is nice. The monster figurines are nice as well. I don't think it's my favorite for art, but that's just because there's a lot of cool options out there. Okay, what uh, what would you if you could redo Comet? What would you what would your theme be? What would my theme be? Yeah, what would you turn the theme into? Oh, I don't know. I don't really want to reskin Comet. I like it how it is. I think it's suitable. I don't think you could do all those things without it being that way. Mm -hmm. So I probably wouldn't change the theme. <laughs> wouldn't change a thing. No, I just, it's not, I'm saying out of the many games that we have, I I don't think it has the best art in the whole world. I think there's better options out there. It's weird because I find there's this disconnect and like the board is very weird. It's bland and kind of yeah. looks like sort of like kind of washed out the colors. It's not very clear, which is so yeah. so but with the power tiles and the cards themselves are great highly detailed and the monster is great again yeah and i mean we don't have time to talk about this game as well but it actually when you said that the board is not great it reminds me of how another amazing game food chain magnet the board is very so so very strange and the components themselves are unbelievably amazing yeah it's, it's weird now it's funny you bring that up because uh in one of the forums i read about this stuff there was a big discussion today that got uh, got a little uh, heated and it was about the company of Splatter that makes or publishes mm -hmm. um, Food Chain Magnet. And, and Zimbabwe. Great Zimbabwe, Indonesia, Antiquity, which is coming out. And Antiquity, I'm really excited for. Basically, just for those who don't know, Splatter publishes very small runs of very cool, complex Critically acclaimed games. games. They, they are great games by... Look them up. We don't have time to explain them, but look up Food Chain Magnet. Look up Great Zimbabwe. Yeah, so hopefully we'll be able to talk about Food Chain Magnet in more detail coming up, but... Uh, going back to this, the there was a discussion about components and how so Splatter Games. Something else is that beyond their small run, because it's basically a, a hobby by the guys who who publish them, and uh, they're based out of the Netherlands, and they have full time jobs, and this is just something they do on the side. They're they're also known for being fairly expensive. Uh, I think most by most standards that all their games are going to run you at least hundred and five dollars Canadian, unless you find a great deal on them. Um, so there was a discussion about how if they had partnered with someone who has a bit more knowledge of the industry and can improve the components, at least as far as the board. Like, let's take a food chain magnet, which is, like Kale was saying, the pieces are great. Like the little burger icon or burger chips and, and the all pizzas and the Cokes the pizzas and the beers. And the menus and all that stuff. But then you look at the actual board and it looks like somebody whipped it up in... I don't want to say paint, but it just looks, it it's looks, so bland and drab mm, and it doesn't work. It looks like grid paper that I used grid in elementary paper. school. Exactly. It looks almost like somebody blew up some uh, mm -hmm. graph paper and kind of drew stuff on there. And it works for the game because it, it just reduces it to its mathematical sort of mm -hmm. what it's supposed to be doing, but it's not very attractive. And also the price point. But what would, 
if they could partner with somebody who can not only make it look prettier, but also... Um, Are you saying like partner with a bigger game well, it's, production company? Well, and that was the, that's where the discussion mm, came from. Is if they, I don't like that at all. I don't like they, that idea. Yeah, yeah. So you lose something in the sense of maybe you don't have your, the independence. But let's, let's imagine this ideal world where they keep their independence and they're partnered <laughs> with a publisher that can make the boards look better. Right. Well, because somebody else was talking about um, Indonesia, which is the one... We haven't played that one. But, yeah. Uh, he was he finished it and he said the game was great but it was exhausting because the board is so busy and the pieces are so kind of bland that it's you're you spend more time kind of fiddling with the mechanics of the game than you actually do the act of the board game and he was somebody that seemed to imply that if they could have cleaned up the board with a little more time and effort you would have had a more accessible product as well and I think more people playing the splatter games the better but mm. I think that we should just send this episode to splatter and tell them to maybe think about these things a little bit more and let them keep their independence because I think there's something really special about having a splatter game because they are so limited. I think it's special. It's I I think it's something to treasure, so I don't want them to change. Okay. Fair I enough. don't want them to be printing thousands and thousands and thousands of these. Well, you know, if we if I can get more people playing their games and they can do keep doing what they're doing, that makes me happy. So <laughs> anyway, this is not endorsed by Splatter. <laughs> <laughs> they are great games. Really, really good. Really good. Look, okay. Check them out. All right. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back to two-player game discussion, or at least games we are quite fond of playing together. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Dueling Banjos by Roy Clark and Buck Trent. I don't know who those guys are, but they were Dueling Banjos. Uh, Kelly, do you know where, when I say Dueling Banjos, what do you think of? Uh, I didn't really think of anything until I just heard that song, and now that's all I can think of. <laughs> We've actually got, uh, Kelly's a good fr- uh, friend or co-worker who... Uh, her husband is a very proficient musician, and uh, he plays more than banjo, right? Uh, I don't know what else he plays. He definitely plays the banjo really, really well. Uh, every other Wednesday at the Merritt Hill Tavern this is, in yeah, Merritt Hill. I don't feel like uh, this is... I, I, I think we can send out a hard uh, Androids Dungeon endorsement of the Merritt mm-hmm. Hill Tavern. Uh, I don't know if we're allowed to do that, but... Yeah, we're doing it right here. Okay, Merritt Hill anyways, Tavern for some great uh, blues, bluegrass. bluegrass. And uh, just... He's, his name is Kenny. Kenny. And uh, he'll never hear this, so he'll never know that I said that because otherwise he might be a little bit shy about it. But he has won so many awards that he can no longer win any awards at the Bluegrass <laughs> Awards, whatever those are. I'm serious. I cannot make this up. He's won too many awards, so he can't can't do it anymore. I think that's an incredible accomplishment where it's, it's kind of like in our baseball league, when you hit too many home runs, they say no more. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's You're too good. All right. We get it. Uh, but uh, dueling banjos, most famously, if you were to ask the average person off the street, dueling banjos, I think most people would suddenly say uh, Deliverance, which is a classic film, uh, novel, I guess, uh, originally, about uh, four gentlemen that uh, get into some trouble in uh, in the South. But uh, it starts off, or near the beginning of the film, there's this incredible scene with, uh, I forget the actor's name, but he's uh, ends up in a, a banjo duel with this... Um, uh, let's call him generously a mountain child uh, about on the beginning of their journey and it's an iconic uh, scene in cinema and I, there's something about the banjo that just really sends me it just seems like you're, you have to be so agile and dexterous that's not to say like when you watch somebody who's good at piano or you watch someone who's good at guitar or any other instrument that seems like any less but something about banjo you just fingers flying and it's especially important so duel what does that imply Kayla? Oh, I see where you're going now. Uh, duel implies a fight mm. uh, it, it, between you, two people. Oh, two. Specifically, it implies a fight between two people. Excellent. Speaking of duels, Kayla, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> Two-player games. There are plenty out there, fo- folks. Folks. <laughs> uh, we tend to play maybe not exclusively two-player games but if a game has a two-player variant or intro of it or at least works at two players it's a huge bonus for us because it's very difficult to learn a game anyone who plays games on a regular basis can sympathize that it's very difficult with a three or four player minimum game to sit down and learn it as a group unless you really have read that rule book back and forwards watch videos and done all this stuff so two-player games are very important to us and you know what they're usually fun it's when somebody takes time to create a two-player game I find is a very balanced experience because you were you just worrying about one other player and that's one of the advantages of this so Kale and I big fans of them um, I've compiled a list and I think what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna list off some of these ones and I'm, I'm gonna see whether Kayla agrees or disagrees with uh, our two-player selections here uh, so, so to clarify these aren't two-player exclusive games. Not These are uh, two games that play well at two-player. Some but. of them, yeah. yeah. I'll, okay. I'll mention if it's an exclusive or not. Go um, on. So let's get the ball rolling with, I'd say, probably the first game we played um, consistently between the two of us and probably one of the first. So I think I, I Catan, Ticket to Ride, and then Carcassonne were the first three games I probably played 
that were outside of the traditional monopoly, ignoring Talisman, which my uncle played, but uh, uh, Carcassonne, classic tiling game that Joel loves. It's his favorite game. If you ever get a chance, play Carcassonne with Joel. He, he'll thank you for it later. Uh, but Carcassonne, Kayla, can you just quickly go over it again, just in case people have forgotten what it's about? Sure. Carcassonne is a tile laying game. So you randomly select tiles and you're trying to match up features. So there is grass and there are cities and there are lake, not lakes, rivers, rivers, one river. Rivers. I'm getting confused. The roads, that's the other thing. It's roads. So there's roads, grass and cities and you're building features and you're scoring points um, as you put your meeples down that's probably the most basic explanation yeah, you of draw the base out of the game. Bank. Yeah, it's all random and you place them. And you have to build them with something that already exists. And you have yep. to, when you put something down, it has to line up logically. You can't like Hence put a road features. going into somewhere else. It doesn't make sense. It has to look right too. Yeah, which is what I meant by building features, but yep. that's okay. Uh, so that's the very base, base, base game. There are tons of expansions for this game and it's super fun with the expansions. Um, you can fall down a hole very quickly though. So my advice can. is unless you really know what you're doing, do not throw them all in together because some don't play as nicely Sometimes with others. Sometimes it's fun though. Sometimes it's crazy. <sighs> we've done it once where we've tossed in all of our expansions and we have seven expansions. Yeah, we're missing I think one, maybe Definitely two. Definitely missing the sheep one. Yeah. I know that. Uh, so we've we've tossed them all in and it took us forever and it just like expands and expands and expands. But Carcassonne is a great game at two player. I think it's a great game at any number of players, but mm. two is definitely great. We played it a lot when we were first taking a foray into board games. Yeah, because it's just it's so quick, so easy mm -hmm. because li literally all you need is if you have the base set, all you have to do is grab the bag, uh, put all the tiles into it and you have your scoring uh, track and you just draw tiles and if you have the river expansion, the, the first bunch of tiles are almost predetermined in a sense and then you just build off of that and you score points. If you really want to be super in-depth about it, you can start to do the math on certain the probability of certain pieces showing up, but that's going to get into, you've we played have a lot never of Carcassonne. <laughs> no, but you, there's certain things, like certain pieces, you, if you build a certain way, you're like, oh no, the odds are low, yes. I'm going to see this show up. Sure, we haven't done the hard math, but yeah. yes, you start to learn what pieces are going to come up and which ones You just are don't want to put unlikely. yourself into a corner. And some expansions, like, so let's do a, a PSA that I think the um, Traders and Builders expansion is necessary. Uh, I would agree. That is a great great expansion the traders the sorry the builder specifically is excellent if you put your builder on a feature that you're working on so you're building a castle or a city for example if you put your uh, builder on that feature you must already already have a meeple there um, but if you add to that feature you get to draw another tile which is a huge bonus because you could finish that feature off you could start a new feature somewhere else continue something yeah you're basically taking two turns at once the, it's great the only requirement is you do have to add to the feature that the builder's yes. on so it's kind of this cost benefit thing where you end up with a city or let's say that's sprawling and eventually you realize that city's out of control <laughs> because you've been so greedy with the builder but it, most time it pays off it's not until the end of the game you start to really think twice about doing those sorts of mm -hmm. things but anyway Carcassonne great Great two-player game. game scales up to uh what is it six eight uh we've definitely played six i, I don't think know if maybe can six play eight i think yeah. six is the max and six was lots okay so carcassonne uh this is in no specific order by the way but uh just first one that i came across number two splendor 
I was just thinking of Splendor. Splendor, we I think we've talked about a little bit on the show. It, mm-hmm. it may have been a couple episodes ago, but it's a game about collecting gems. It's an engine builder. You have these little poker chips that represent them, and you're uh, grabbing them, and you're buying cards off of a tableau, and some the bottom row are easy, the middle row are a little more difficult, and the top ones require a lot of uh, resources to get, but... It's, it is an extremely tactile and easy to grasp system for the most part, um, and it plays up to four. But I think two players is maybe three, but two players is the best by, out of all the player counts. Do you agree or disagree, Cal? Uh, I agree. Splendor is a great game. And it plays quickly, too, for the most part. Every now and then you end up with... The the main criticism you can level at Splendor is that it's kind of random, I think, after two, uh, because you're basically at the mercy of cards. So if I've done my turn and I've grabbed a bunch of gems and I want to take this card or and I let's say I can't even bank it anymore and Kayla grabs a card, then my plan has gone up in smoke and I have to rearrange. So imagine that with three players where there are two people possibly taking cards before you and if four players are just bananas and it's just don't even look at other people unless before your turn, but that's that. Uh, Splendor. There's actually an expansion coming up for Splendor. I don't know if I've talked about this on the show or not yet, but it looks very so-so, and the price tag is incredible. Splendor itself is not cheap. It's uh, something in like the 50s for a game that's essentially cards and surprising, especially the newer editions, which I think they don't. Poker chips. Yeah, the chips are not nearly as heavy. They're they're hollow. They feel like you could probably blow on them; they'd float like a UFO. But um, the expansion's coming out for it, and. Uh, from what I've seen, it looks kind of odd and kind of not necessarily something. I think it's too late. If it had come out earlier, maybe it would have been a bigger deal. But at this point, I just look at it and think, I, no, Splendor by itself, which is odd because I, I love expansions. But this one is not in my radar whatsoever. So Splendor, scales up to four, pretty good game. Number three, Jaipur. Jaipur, I think, is an outstanding, easily travelable, travelable little game. But set collection set in uh, <laughs> set in the Far East, and you've got camels, and you've got a bunch of different goods, some worth more than others, and you basically have this tableau set up in front of you of a bunch of different things. And what you want to do is you want to swap cards. So if I go in there, I want to take cards and put others back in there. So you might have purple and you want to swap out for red. Exactly. And golds are more valuable. Like There is a hierarchy to this. And the first person to cash out gets the most benefit from them. And the rounds can disappear on you very quickly if you're not careful. And the way camels work is they're wilds in a sense. So let's say you want to take... Uh, all the gems that are up on the, or all the different goods that are up there. So you've got a bunch of camels in front of you and say, uh, all right, so I'll throw all my camels and replace all the goods there and take them into my hand. And then it's Kayla's turn. And when there's only camels up there, she has no choice but to take all the camels and give me more things to possibly trade with or pick up. Uh, but it, there's a lot of strategy to it. It's a very cute game. Uh, travels super nicely and inexpensive. And it's a two-player exclusive. Did you say that? Um, I don't think I did. So Yes, it's just for two players. But it is small. It packs well. Yeah, it's a really nice little game. And like I was saying, it, it's something that I think you can get your monies out of if you really feel like going into it. And I we've played it probably a dozen times. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I have any hard strategy on it. It's just... Uh, Try your best. <laughs> just have fun, you know? <laughs> and So that's that. So number three, Jaipur. Inexpensive, two-player exclusive. Uh, pick it up. The fourth one is... I, I, I hesitate putting it on here because we only played it once. And I right. loved it. But it's, it is... It, Even though you... 
blew up the world. Even though I blew up the world, dedicated listeners of the show, dedicated listener of the show, <laughs> <laughs> which is generous, I think, uh, will know that I'm talking about uh, Twilight Struggle. You've talked about it before. We've talked about it on the show before. Okay. Twilight Struggle is by GMT Games, and it is uh, a card-driven, I guess you can call it a war game. Um, yeah, well, it's the Cold War. Well, Cold War, but I, I'm just trying to figure out the genre that you'd throw it into. But It's very thematic. Super thematic. So you basically, it's USSR versus the United States. And uh, it, it simulates the Cold War by these cards you draw. And the all the world is split up into different regions, and different regions have different countries in them, and they all have different alliances or allegiances, and some lean towards the U.S., some lean towards the USSR, and you can influence these regions. And suddenly, North Korea is on your side. You've unified the Korean Peninsula, uh, and suddenly the Russians are have um, turned uh, England communist. And there's certain things like this that are. Uh, always happening on the board, and it's all through these cards. And the cool thing about the game is it's it's ultra it's it's very simple. Cards in your hand, there are ones that are your color, and there are some that are the other person's color. If you play the one on your color, you can either take the event, which is something historical, let's say uh, formation of NATO, and that gives you a bunch of different things, and the card is gone forever. Or you can take the points on it, which are operation points, which will let you uh, influence regions anywhere in the world. And what you're trying to do is you're supposed to influence certain regions because there's a scoring round based on the cards in your hand. And if you see your opponent, let's say Kayla's investing heavily in South America, you think, oh, geez, she's got a South American scoring card. So you start to fight her over there. Or you say, you know what? It's not worth as many points. I'm going to go do Europe over here because if you completely take control of Europe, you win the game at the end of that turn. But there's a cool little mechanic called DEFCON. And uh, as the DEFCON... Oh, geez, I always screw this up. As it rises, DEFCON 5 is the worst? Or DEFCON 1? I think it's DEFCON 5. It's 1 is a state of readiness, and DEFCON 5 is nuclear war imminent. Uh, Either way, whatever the 1 is. (laughs) So as you move up through there, there's the ability... So Kayla can look at me and say, all right, Jack's doing really well in Japan... I can coup Jack. So basically, you take all my influence in the region, gone. The problem is, is as the war progresses, coups become dangerous. And every time you coup, you push the world closer to nuclear war. And after certain points, you can't coup in certain regions. And what happens is, is you pick cards. Sometimes you force somebody to raise the DEFCON level. And when we played, Kayla, do you want to... (laughs) Uh, well, it was a while ago, so I don't remember the specifics, but yeah. I definitely forced Jack into a position where he had to raise the DEFCON level in such a way that the whole world exploded, I, and I won. <laughs> it's Kayla won. I, I, I glassed the entire world, but Kayla won the game. So that's, that's all that matters. That's Twilight Struggle. Yeah. It's, and you know what? It's it's a very pretty game. It's very cool. It's cool. It's, it's just a thinker, for it's a sure. Thinker. It doesn't travel well. It's a, no, God, It takes no. up a huge footprint. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say this, there is a criticism that I agree with, and just after my one turn, one time playing it and liking it, is that it's very random, it's not random, but you it rewards somebody who knows the cards. And someone who's playing it once versus somebody who's played it 20 times is going to get smushed. There's no question about it, because you know exactly what to expect versus someone who doesn't. And that is a criticism. But a lot of games reward people playing it more often than not. So Twilight Struggle, two-player exclusive, again, uh, and a very neat game from GMT. Next one up, Seven Wonders Duel. Seven Wonders Duel. 
Now, if you've listened to the show before, when we did our, I think we've talked about this in the past, Seven Wonders is not high on uh, either of our lists of games we like to play. Right. I was going to say, I talked about it on the Rage episode, that Seven Wonders is not a game that I like, but that I love this version. So Seven Wonders Duel takes Seven Wonders and streamlines it and makes it simple and makes it, it just makes it into the game that I wanted the original Seven Wonders to be. And... It is a two-player exclusive by Bruno Cathala, and you end up... The, the only fiddly part about the game, I think, is just building the, the, the map. But basically, you have a bunch of cards up, and you flip over some, you flip over... Others are hidden, and you just acquire them, just like Seven Wonders. You don't draft, you just take. Mm-hmm. And if you take enough that there are, uh, there's not a card covering something that's uncovered, uh, that is covered, you flip it over to the right side, and now other people can get it. So there's a strategy in that... Oh, man... Because there's this military victory. If you push the the your opponent through attacks all the way to the side, you win the game instantly, just like a science victory. So if, let's say, Kayla has pushed me to the brink and I'm worried that she's going to do stuff, I don't want to flip over unknown cards because on her turn it could give her access to stuff to just instantly win the game. And then there's all the other stuff where you're trying to acquire permanent goods that make things easier and you have the wonders and it's all there. It's all fun and quick and nice. Uh, how do you feel about Seven Wonders, Kill? Seven Wonders is a great game. Duel. Duel. So, sorry, Seven Wonders Duel. Very specific on that one. It is a great game. It's a great game for two players. I think it does fix all the problems that I have with Seven Wonders. And um, and there's Sushi I, Go for when you don't want to do. Yeah. Other. It is really neat. Like There is a an aspect of engine building because you need to get certain goods, bricks, uh, iron, this... Uh, scrolls and science to buy things and yeah. also to build your your wonders um there's tons of benefits the military victory is definitely difficult to do i, I wouldn't think I've, I've i've militarized i've done it a bunch Gosh, of times don't talk about it don't talk about <laughs> it um but i mean i don't think going for military victory is really good but you need to actually watch to make sure that someone isn't going to get a military victory on you so it's not okay to ignore the military mm-hmm. the sciences i find a bit fiddly i mean i don't have such a problem with setting up the cards it's more so that I don't love the science part. Well, um, because some of the ex- explanations on the science tile, because they provide bonuses, and some of them are a little uh, oddly written, mm-hmm. and maybe veterans of Seven Wonder will just look and say, oh, no, that makes perfect sense. But for me, there are a couple that I have to, oh, what does this one do again? I have to flip back to the manual, whereas everything else is just right there. It makes perfect sense. And w- there's, this, it, there's this satisfaction to seeing your civilization grow because things turn into other things. So if you buy this technology here, you can buy another one for free later on, and it just it's very organic and a cute experience. Yeah, Seven Wonders is great. I would recommend it to anyone who's asking for a two-player game. It'd probably be one of the first ones alongside Patchwork that I would recommend. Well, it's funny you bring up Patchwork, Kayla, because that is on the list. Let's just skip right to it. Okay. I put it further down because I got distracted as I was making this list. But of course you did. Speaking of Seven Wonders, Seven Wonders Duel and great two-player games, I think Patchwork is probably if something's a two-player game jack so patchwork simple yeah easy choice uh sell it cal patchwork is adorable uh, i think i overuse that word but it's really appropriate in this case uh so in in patchwork what you're trying to do is each of you has a quilt and you're trying to buy tiles that represent quilt pieces and basically tetris them onto your board and cover up as much space as possible um you buy pieces with buttons hello adorable and time so there's a limited amount of time um the better the piece the more time typically or there's a button trade-off exactly and the pieces that you're buying also have buttons on them which is button income so every 
I don't know, 10 space or something, you get button income. Again, this is just so cute. Um, it's a, it's an Uwe Rosenberg game. Yeah. So obviously we like it that way. Um, and so the pieces that you have options to buy, they're all in a circle, um, but it moves every time. So every time someone buys something, the marker moves forward to that spot. And so you only can buy the three pieces that are in front of that marker. So your choices are limited and they're constantly changing. You may be like, oh, I really need that piece. It fits so perfectly. And then someone buys it in such a way that it it means you can't get that piece. Yeah. Um, but it is a great game. It's fast. It's cute. It's um, it's tricky. If you like Tetris, you'll like this. I think everyone falls in love with patchwork almost instantly. So cute. It's, it's for people that don't even like tiling games. It's it's not a it's not a strict tiling game. No. And there's different strategies to winning. Like, do you go for the big pieces that are cheap and weird, and you like try to make it work, or do you go for the expensive, mm -hmm. big, like the, the time is your biggest resource in this game. And it's Definitely. very difficult because... It's easy to run out of time. Oh, it's super easy. And the game is very punishing because any uncovered space at the end of the game is worth negative two points. So yeah. all your, your money disappears very quickly and all your, all the stuff, you're basically just trying to cover up negatives, just mm -hmm. like in uh, Feast for Odin. And if you don't do, play your quilts right then you are you're in trouble and i've yeah. seen some very bad scores in the game from people who just negative dollars negative, negative dollars. buttons sorry. negative buttons negative you buttons. owe the quilt buttons <laughs> patrick is a great game if you have played it and you loved it then also check out cottage garden because it is the more players yeah multiplayer version. multiplayer that's the word i was like the yeah. multiplayer version of it's even faster too because it's it smaller board it's and uh, i think it's easier to cover up yeah. these spaces it anyway so. patchwork and seven wonders duel are probably my top two recommendations for two-player games and i put jaipur in there easily too i'd say those two up there and then you're like oh i want something else it's a little more different jaipur easy 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 choice okay. um sure. so this is where we start to get a little a little odd here so i'm gonna move on to um dedicated listener of the show will know that I am quite fond of city building games. I love seeing things grow uh, before my eyes that are like a town or something like that. So naturally, um, Suburbia, Mad King, Ludwig, and Subdivision uh, are some of my favorite games. And they happen to play very nicely with two players because they are borderline... Um, multiplayer solitaire but they also play super nicely because there is slight interaction with uh, the other player not mm -hmm. so much subdivision but suburbia and madkin ludwig absolutely yeah like i think um so both those games have a bidding aspect where someone is in charge of ordering the way in which you get to or the price point for the pieces that you're trying to get mm -hmm. so the the auction park doesn't work as well with two players because there's not as much variety but it does still work it's perfectly fine mm -hmm. Um, but that's kind of the only aspect that is not as friendly to two players. Yeah, but it, it's it's still, especially or suburbia, excuse me, because you are looking at the other person's, um, their their suburb affects your suburb at times. Like if you put something down, sometimes you can yep. score all the points or all the different schools Kayla has in her area. And conversely, she can do something with mine. Uh, but it, it's just very pretty. It's an abstract mm -hmm. game at its core, but it just looks neat and it plays nicely. And I mm -hmm. think it's it's definitely, and again, it's one of our earlier games that we kind of started playing together, especially mm -hmm. Mad King Ludwig, very strong. That's uh, a cottage game. <laughs> I know, we learned it at the cottage, so it has super cozy. lovely little memories. I can almost smell the cottage. I know, play, I know. Anyway, so. Uh, they're all by the same designer, right? Yes, uh, Ted Olshpik, yep. I think. Can't remember uh, his name, but he designs Betsy, all of them. In Betsy there. Games or Betsy. If you could only pick one, 
I say Madkin Ludwig because I think it's so funny. There, there's all these rooms. His yeah. king is crazy. There's all these rooms that you're building into his castle, and they are funny named, and they have funny images on them, and yeah. they have funny shapes. And I think it's really, really cool. It's more Tetrisy than uh, it is suburbia, which is suburbia's hexagons, and yeah. subdivision is all hexagons too. Yeah. It's super abstract, and I, I would go with Ludwig as well. But suburbia, I think, is probably. Um, there's more to it. Just I, play them all. Just play them all. You That's can't go fine. wrong. <laughs> and they're not, uh, I don't think they're cheap, but they're no. they're very good games and you won't, it's not like you'll be like, oh, this is garbage. Can't believe Android just, Dungeon tricked me. <laughs> no, just they're, they're invest good. in the organizers. Oh my God. The organizers save you some time. Broken token. I'll, I'm going to give them a shout out. They make my life easier on a lot of things. All right. So uh, Suburbia, Mac and Ludwig subdivision. Uh, moving yeah. on. This is another one of our early games and a cynical listener might say, Oh, it's just the the games they like playing two player are the games they've played originally, and you might be right on some level. But Caverna is a game that uh, means a lot to Kalen, Kalen me, and it it plays well with two players as mm-hmm. most Rosenberg games do because you can play the one part player if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And some people would say, oh, Agricola is the one I go to. Uh, there's any Uve yeah. game, but I think we love Caverna maybe because we never learned Agricola first. Yeah, but I also just love Caverna. It's an adorable theme, it's and so it, it's you play dwarves, and you're raising a family in caves, and you're clearing out fields, and you've got mm-hmm. animals Getting all over tons the place, of animals and going on adventures, and you're mining rubies and and coal and yeah. things. It's it, a great game. It's not two player only, and it also takes up tons and tons giant of space. Board space. It's huge, and it ex- but it's worth scales it. up to six, I think. It does. It's which is nuts. And then there's also advanced variants, which you know I'm I'm ashamed to say I've never dipped my toe into the advanced variants because mm-hmm. I barely understand the. The normal ones. Well, we're still we're still learning it. We're still learning. That's fine. And uh, I think Years there's later. actually. I wonder if there's an expansion for Caverna coming up. I know there's a. Now it's funny we're talking. Don't about, get my hopes up, Jack. Well, here's what. Not I, that we even be able to play it. Yeah. Well, the, this is what I mixed up because there is a two-player version of Caverna coming out because there was all ah, creatures great and yes, small yes. for Agricola, mm-hmm. Lahav uh, Duel, I think it is. Uh, or, no, no, Inland Port. Like inland Port. Yeah, yeah inland which port. is two-player that. Yep. Now there is Caverna, uh, the Cave Farmers or something, mm-hmm. or Dueling Caves, Rival Caves, which is going to be the two-player version of this. Which we'll have to get. We have to. It's because it looks adorable. Maybe they'll make a two-player version of Feast for Odin, oh, like man. a small, compact version of Feast for Odin, like for Feast on the Go. Feast. Kayla, don't tempt me. Don't break my it. heart. Feast on the go. Rosenberg. Or like our takeout box. I don't know, something. Uh, anyway, Caverna, this one is not cheap. Uh, it'll probably knock you back about 80 bucks. Uh, but it once but you pick it up. huge. You pick it up, you can you beat someone You will struggle with it. to put the pieces back in the box. There's get so the much. You have to get, get, you have to get very creative. When we didn't have the organized, I had to use... Tetris and we yeah, use the term that's Tetris it, because too often, but without the organizer, it's actually difficult to close the lid. When I yeah. bought it, the lid wasn't even closed properly yeah. on it, which is hilarious so yeah. in the in the original packaging. So yeah. anyway, uh, moving on to uh, let's dip away from the heavy stuff to Karuba for a second. <gasps> I love Karuba. We've talked about Karuba on the show, I think, a little bit, and I say that it is. Uh, I I think it is one of the few games out there that the second you put it down, after a round, everyone gets it. Yeah. Uh, it is insanely accessible. It is solitaire, multiplayer solitaire, yep. but everyone has a great time. And it is tile laying where you're building a route from you have four explorers and four temples that correspond to their colors. And you're trying to put down tiles with different lines and paths. And you're trying to get them from the beaches to the uh, jungles where the uh, the temples are located. Mm-hmm. And everyone is placing the same tile at the same time, but it's up to you where you want to put it. 
Yeah. You can put it wherever you so like. So you could copy another person. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But that's silly. You should do your own thing. Yes. Especially because people are going to do dumb things. Yeah. You know more than them. People you're better. dumb. But along the way, you're going to draw tiles that have diamonds on them and gold nuggets on them. And you put them down and you decide if you want to move an adventure, which means you discard a tile and you can move your adventure. But you have to decide, oh, should, am I racing to the temple? Or am I picking up some diamonds along the way? It slows you down because you have to end your turn wherever you stop. Or have you planned out so perfectly you're moving your adventure the maximum that they move and you're picking up stuff. It, there's yeah. a lot to it. And it's fun. I've seen, you can see yeah. the light click in, uh, or the switch click. I don't know. There's the a bit of click. balancing involved. You have to create an efficient route from your explorers to your temples, but also use the pieces to move your explorers so crew is a great game i would play it every day yeah and uh, i think my only criticism is that it is i think slightly pricey but it the components are pretty good yeah i think it's somewhere in like mm -hmm. the high 40s or it's low kind of 50s surprising for what it is but great components i'm okay so with it's it. fine uh so karuba uh then we're gonna swing on over to something that i think is adorable and a little weirder uh super mother load uh super mother load is a deck builder meets dig dug set on Mars with wacky casts of crew that you are basically starting at the top of the surface and you're using these cards to dig down and get resources. And what happens is the board is covered in these black strips. Uh, or no, it isn't covered in black strips. You, no, when you, you dig, you put the black strips down because to symbolize there's nothing the in exactly. There's nothing in the ground anymore because you took up the, the, uh, yeah. the jewel or the treasure exactly so what you do it's it's it is once you pick it up it makes perfect sense and it's difficult to describe on the air but basically you've got these cards in your hand and you're shuffling and unlike other deck builders you don't always have to draw or you don't get the drop you have to spend one of your two actions that turn to mm -hmm. draw unless you've got something else going on but we won't get into that and you use these and you're only allowed to play one color's worth of card a turn and you can combine them all into one and for a giant di uh, drill uh, but there's also objectives and there's a lot of little things going on there and you're trying to get gems and to buy better cards which you put into your deck and you're just going hog wild. It's so cute and the That's components great. are incredible. Um, and it plays great with two players. Yeah, it, it's a great game. I, I love it. It's I think we talked about it the other day when we were talking about deck builders because I don't love deck builders, yeah. but I love this one because there is more than just building a deck to it. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's a good point because yeah. and just a quick aside, I think um, there's a new game coming out by uh, Rainier Knizia, which is um, a, it's been described as Dominion with a map. So it's it sounds like they're people are cluing into the fact that people want a deck builder. Or at least I wanted it. Maybe they heard me and they're like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure they heard you and decided to do something. They about wanted it. to do something about it. It's like that vaunted Jack Market, Jack uh -huh. and Caleb. But it's you're. I like the idea of using the deck to actually affect the board yes. versus just like playing cards with somebody like them. Yeah. Uh, so super uh, mother load, and I think. That was my last mm -hmm. one of the bunch. Super Motherload. It's not expensive. It's not mm -hmm. cheap. It's perfectly in the middle ground. Mikhail, is there anything that you can think of that we missed on our list um, or that you'd like to bring up? So not necessarily on the list, but something that I just uh, came to mind was there's a lot of games out there that will play two players. And maybe it doesn't play super well at two players, um, but they do. Something that I don't love in a game that says it fits two players is when there is a 
very different two-player variant or very different way you have to play the game because you're playing with two players. I think that's really difficult because a lot of the times we're playing a two-player game because we want to learn it because we can count on each other to learn and it's easier for the two of us to learn than anyone else. So um, if we're learning a game and the rules for two players versus more is vastly different, I find that really challenging. I don't find it as fun. Sometimes the two-player variant is not great. It seems like it's things are missing and you don't get to use all the components. I really so hate when it's like, okay, you've got two other dummy players going, which means, oh, okay, this isn't, dummy balanced, this isn't balanced around that at all, no, unless it's so a really intuitive use of the dummy player. In that but, case, say you're not a two-player game. Say you're a three or a four, and we... I like to be honest, we probably shy away from buying games that are exclusively three player because we know that it's hard for us to learn them with yeah. three and we can't play them on our own, which we can always count on each other to be there. So it may, it may be, oh, <laughs> it maybe it, it pushes some people away from it, but I think you need to be honest. Like this, we've just hacked in some rules that don't actually make sense. That's you know, and that's something a, that bugs me. It's a great point because I appreciate them just putting some two player in there so you can actually get a feel for how the game works, but at the same time, if it's going to play so differently with another play count that makes it almost irrelevant the fact that I learned it two-player, then what's the purpose? But it goes Absolutely. to show the importance of having um, like actual good rules in there. Mm -hmm. So Definitely. Uh, oh, what's that? What's that? Oh, geez. That lovely bass rift indicates that yet again we have come to the end of an episode of Android's Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, an episode about two-player games. I'd like to thank Kayla for sitting in with me today, and I'd like to thank Joel for... Oh, he's not here. Never mind. For not showing up. For not showing up. Uh, in all seriousness, we hope to get Joel back next week, and we have something special for you. He's not gone. He'll be back. He'll be back. <laughs> so, thanks for listening. I'm Jack. I'm Kayla. Stay tuned. <laughs>